everybody. Welcome to another episode of Zoobox Goes to the Movies. I'm your host, Sean, and today we're going to talk about a new VOD release. Now, this film was originally intended to get a theatrical run, but as, thing, as, are, as things are these days, uh, that's not, not really any theaters open to show them. I know there's drive-ins are kind of starting to open up around the country, and it's becoming more. that's becoming more of a thing, which is actually kind of cool. There's a drive-in that's about 45 minutes from me. I went to it a couple years ago. Didn't see particularly good movies um, the night I went, but it was a cool experience. I hadn't been to a drive-in since I was a kid. I don't know if this will end up in any drive-ins um, just because of how, I don't know, those kind of issues work. I don't know what the deal they have to make with studios and whatnot. I mean, concessions and uh, renting the films and stuff to show because, you know, Traditionally, drive-ins are a much cheaper alternative than going to the movies. And what's cool about the, the drive-in actually by my house, they do do like retro nights and whatnot like a few times a year. So I feel like it's a quarterly thing. But most of the time, it's the like the popular movies that come out that week. And generally, they'll pair like a new movie with a movie that came out the week before or maybe two weeks before that. And they're kind of in a theme. So if there's like a two family films out around the same time, they'll show the family films. Um, but it's cool because it's a lot cheaper. I mean, I think, uh, the one by where I live, I think it's nine bucks a, an adult. That's nine bucks for two people or uh, nine bucks per person. But I mean, uh, nine bucks for two movies. That's pretty, that's really cheap. I mean, I go to the local Regal or AMC. I try to go to, we have a company around here. It's called, uh, it's like the Georgia theater company. They own a chain called Riverwatch cinemas, I believe. Or is it just Georgia GTC Cinemas? It's at the Riverwatch. That's what it is. And uh, I try to support them as much as possible, but their their theaters are kind of blow. <laughs> but, I mean, the ticket prices, you go at, uh, if you don't go to a matinee, even a matinee, though, they're like 10 or $11. And I like to go to the movies, so it's a, it's always a, I'm always like trying to think to justify it, you know? I have to really, really want to see it nowadays. And, you know, because life's so busy and I have a kid and, I'm in college and all this stuff, so there's not a ton of time usually just to kind of run away by myself and go see a movie. So, you know, honestly, in, in a weird way, this corona thing has not been awful for my new movie intake. A lot of times, you know, newer movies, i got to wait till they go digital or they get released on Blu-ray. and um, So it hasn't been too bad for me in that respect. And this is no exception. You know, I don't know if I would have went to go see this in the theater, but I... Gladly rent it on VOD. Um, I like Tom Hardy. I, I like Josh Trank. Josh Trank's got a interesting kind of history. He's had a, a troubled start to his career. He kind of came out of the gate with a big success. An interesting movie. A movie that I, I do enjoy. I don't love it as much as other people do. Um, Chronicle, which is a found footage kind of superhero origin story type of movie. Kind of models itself heavily on Akira and um and then just like kind of general superhero mythos stuff and then they just kind of ground it in a real world thing with you know a meteor falls and they get superpowers because of it augments their cells and, or whatnot and uh, it's an interesting movie but it was a you know is that one of those kind of lucky beginner's luck type scenarios because he had a follow-up his follow-up and this happens to a lot of these smaller indie dudes they do like a successful kind of self small contained movie. And then a studio comes in. They're like, Hey, would you like the keys to the hundred million dollar kingdom? The $200 million kingdom. 
because uh, he got I don't know if he I, I was watching a video the other night uh, Midnight Edge does did this video breakdown it's called Trankgate I think it's called and they did like a retrospective on it because this movie was coming out and he got somehow attached to the Fantastic Four and Fox uh, as the legend goes Fox was kind of needed just to do something with the property or they'd lose the rights and it would go to Marvel. So every few years they would have to actually, they would have to legally, if they wanted to keep the rights, they had to do something with the property. And somehow Josh Trank got attached to it. He had a kind of left of center kind of oddball take on it where he wanted to do like a body horror kind of movie origin story. Cause you know, the idea that like you'd go, I don't know, get hit with a radiation blast from outer space from an alien planet or entity or something. And, and what that would actually do to you physically and psychologically. It's, it's really interesting. And in the movie itself, tons of production issues. Apparently he was difficult. The producers were difficult. The studio was difficult. The studio gave him a bunch of money and then took it away. They went and reshot a bunch of the movie without him (laughs) rewrote large swaths of the film, which you can actually tell where the reshoots were because, uh, Mara Wilson. No, it's not, it's not her name. Kate Mara. Kate Mara plays the invisible woman and she has to put on this awful wig. They didn't even try to match it to the way her hair looked in the, uh, in their, in their principal photography when they went for additional shooting. It's really jarring. But the whole movie, the shift of the, the first four to 45 minutes feel like the kind of movie that he described that he wanted to make. And then the second 45 minutes feel like a studio monstrosity that is kind of trying to straddle the line. They didn't really give a shit about his vision of the movie anymore. And this, cause this happened as they were filming, the studio basically changed his mind, which was weird considering that they don't really give a shit about fantastic four. And they kind of just wanted to keep it for posterity and to keep it out of Marvel's hands, which, Hey, I'm all for studios keeping shit out of Marvel Studios' hands. Uh, they're the most creatively fucking bankrupt megalomonster th- production, I don't know, pipeline, factory pipeline out there right now, in my opinion. I, I know I, most people don't agree with that. I understand. You're all wrong, but I understand. Um, so, yeah, he had a rough go. He kind of basically got blacklisted because he was also had been tapped to do one of the new Star Wars movies when they kind of uh, announced they were doing the Star Wars Stories initiative. They announced Solo, they announced Rogue One, and then they had like a mystery project, um, which, if reports are true, has come out to say they were going to do a Boba Fett movie or a Mandalorian-esque like focused movie, which is basically what Disney Plus ended up doing with their show. I'm, I don't think the tone is the same, but the idea, they decided to go explore that stuff with just a random Mandalorian character. Uh, but he was tapped for that and he kind of quit before he was going to get fired. Cause you know, Kathleen Kennedy producer over there at Lucasfilm head of star Wars or whatever the fuck her title is. It's like, you know, she's kind of famous for going in and <laughs> also doing kind of the same things that were done to Josh strength, other filmmakers, Gareth Edwards had a lot of problems on rogue one. Apparently there's a lot of that was reshot by the DP. Um, what else? Oh, Solo. I mean, Solo, they were 70% of the way shooting. Uh, Lord and Miller, the guys who did the 21 Jump Street revival and a few other movies and, uh, you know, mostly comedies, Lego, the Lego movie. Um, and they got ousted. Ron Howard comes in, reshoots large swaths of that movie as well. 
Um, so you kind of get this bland match. I like, I don't understand these big studios. They, they hire these guys because they feel like they're unique and they're going to bring something different to the table. And as soon as they do that, even in the middle of production, they're like, Nope, Nope, not going to do that. There's just, we're just, just setting money on fire. You think you would just do your due diligence or have a more specific thing in mind when you're when you're going about these massively expensive franchises you would think you'd have a fucking plan but as we've seen not the case so he was blacklisted to get back to Josh Trank he he was uh pretty much persona non grata and he kind of took himself out of the limelight took himself went into the background obviously worked on something else quietly for 4 years until now Capone. This is his first post Fantastic Four film. First time anybody's heard of him at all in the past four years, really. And uh, he wrote and directed this. And this is a character study. It is a character study about Al Capone and his kind of final days, the final year of his life. Uh, Al Capone went to jail when he was 33. And uh, when he was a kid, he worked as a, a kind of like muscle, as a bouncer at a brothel. And when we're saying a kid, I mean like 14, 15. Somehow by doing that, whether it was kind of indulging in the services provided there or just from being around it, he got syphilis, neurological syphilis. And it kind of sent him to an early grave. But he was so sick in prison that they just they let him go. He was there for eight years, I think. So he would have been. 41 when they let him out and he got to go basically live in his uh, Florida mansion out the last of his days. And he just slowly kind of devolved, withered away. So the film is interesting because it starts basically when you're kind of seeing the last gasps of his kind of self-aware state where he's really cognizant of what's going on. And then the, the movie kind of plays out a little bit like a nightmare where he's, he becomes at some point because of the syphilis, kind of disassociates from himself and then has all these memories of his life and all these things that happened in his life and all these people in his life. And he views them almost from a third person perspective. Like he doesn't see himself as having done them. And he's kind of horrified at like kind of the monstrous person that he is. And you kind of go into his mind and his psyche a little bit and about having to come to terms with some of that stuff. I wish that the movie was a little more, I don't know, exacting when it comes to his experience in that. But the problem is with, with that, I suppose, I don't know if this is a flaw in the movie specifically, but it is completely, almost completely from his perspective, his POV. You get a little bit from his wife and his son and, uh, and you know, and that stuff's okay. I think it makes a mistake in the third act where you get to see like the world outside of what Al Capone sees by uh you know there's people were wiretapping his house and watching him from bushes and just trying to get some dirt apparently he had stolen a ton of money and he had hidden it somewhere and nobody knew where it was and they were trying to like kind of i don't know find some sort of justice because of that and and you get to see things that al capone would not have seen like you see scenes that take place outside of his home i thought that was a mistake i thought like you know just just keep it with Al Capone. It, this is an internal kind of experience. It's this internal psychological horrific experience for him as his mind is literally being eaten away by syphilis. 
and uh, Tom Hardy is great in it. He gives a great. He's doing you know he's doing his Tom Hardy thing. He's doing a silly voice, um, which you know I think are hit hit and miss. I like Tom Hardy. I think he's a super interesting actor, but sometimes that stuff works better than others. I would say this one straddles the line of being kind of comical and serious because uh, there is you know in all tragedy and all and all things like this there's a hint of of comedy in this film i think there is a self-awareness about his performance that um kind of comes through in the way that they conduct some of the scenes uh, matt Dillon is also great he's got like a little part um and he's really really great uh there's this fantastic scene like midway through the movie they watch the movie the wizard of oz and Matt Dillon's like big takeaway. He's like another gangster dude. And Matt Dillon's big takeaway is like, uh, why didn't the cowardly lion like fleece, <laughs> fleece Emerald City? He's like, he's sitting on a gold mine. What is he doing? What, what is he doing? And Al Capone's trying to explain to him, you know, uh, he got his courage. Like that's the message of the movie. He got his courage back or got courage for the first time, maybe. And uh, yeah, it was really funny. It's really well done. There's like that's if I were to say anything, this is a pretty strong performance piece. Like it is a character study. It's pretty small. It's pretty intimate. It's not trying to tell some big giant story about Al Capone and his life. It's very specific. Um, that could be a negative for some people because if you don't kind of have an awareness of uh, Al Capone's life, some of it's not going to register. Um, I don't know why I know. Honestly, I don't know. I got so much useless knowledge up in this noggin. This would be another thing. Like, why the fuck do I know about Al Capone? I'm not even that interested in organized crime to begin with. But through cultural osmosis or whatever, like, I know quite a fair bit about Al Capone. So I knew where I was coming in at in the story. Because it does makes no, almost no effort to explain any of that stuff to the audience. It just assumes that you know. I mean, I don't even think they tell you that he has syphilis until like an hour into the movie. I don't even really it's not ever discussed you just know something's wrong with him he's got dementia he's got alzheimer's he's got something you don't know you wouldn't know if you didn't know already because uh, it could be a lot of things i mean well maybe it's kind of obvious he's got like sores and his body is deteriorating in a way that you would if you had syphilis so if you just have an awareness of syphilis maybe you'd pick up on that but i thought maybe that was Maybe you could have used a little bit of broadening of context, but I think, but that's unfair because I think the movie achieves what its goals are. They have like kind of this parallel arc about Capone, not necessarily coming to terms with his life, but at least understanding the horrific nature of it. It's like he got to step outside himself. He got to step away from the legendary figure that he, you know, propagated out in the world. You know, Al Capone, was a kind of a fame whore. Uh, he was kind of a man of the people. It wasn't until the St. Valentine's Day Massacre where the population kind of turned against him, and which is probably what led to his eventual rela- uh, arrest because people were more willing to just kind of turn on him. Because uh, he was, you know, he donated to charities, he gave away food to the poor, all sorts of stuff like that. He really ingratiated himself to the people. And... It's um, And so when he sees himself as a monster, I don't know what, you know, you don't know what level of awareness he has. He's just kind of experiencing it almost as the audience is. He acts as the main character and also as the a- audience avatar 
to a psycho for the psychological stuff because all the psychological stuff is really there's no context really given to it. Um, some of it, so it is kind of just interesting, almost nightmarish, almost like a what Jacob's Ladder kind of internal stuff. The internal nightmares, if you if you're familiar with the film Jacob's Ladder, Adrian Lin film. Um, yeah, and some of that stuff is really effective. Really drew me in. It drew me in. Uh, I was really into it. I've heard a few criticisms that the movie is boring. Um, has no point. I would disagree. I think, you know, people would, you might, in layman's term, you might throw out the term a slow. It's a slow burner, right? I would say it's, but it's on purpose. It's deliberately paced, in my opinion. And I never, I was never bored. I was just in on for the ride. I thought uh, the performances strung me along. And even some of the personal revelations strung me along. If it does have a weakness, it is with the, there is, some kind of a parallel plot that is not really touched on a ton, but is about uh, him being investigated. Like I said, and I don't think that stuff's very strong. And every time you, it kind of takes you out of the headspace of Capone, I think is a mistake in my opinion. So that would be something I would, it just makes it. So it's uh feels a little, it feels off and it doesn't feel at the end of the day. Like you really need to know that stuff. Uh, to get what you're supposed to get out of the movie, which is more about, I don't know, I guess, mortality, fame, coming to terms, and uh, also family. And what you mean to your family and also what you um, have done to your family. What they mean to you and if that stuff is important or not. I don't want to spoil anything, uh, so I'm not going to get into the specifics of that stuff, but... It's that stuff's there. And I don't think the uh, investigation portions, which are, you know, in fairness, they're pretty brief. It's they're not, it's not a big part of the movie, which makes it just weirder that it's there. I think you could have the specter of the FBI out there. And I think we would have got it. Uh, Cause for a lot of times, that's all it is. Just the specter. Um, this is not a spoiler, but there's this, cause it's in the trailer. If you see the trailer. So I suppose it is a spoiler, but they, the marketing spoiled it already. Like he's uh He's got to take a leak and the, the power goes out in his house and he's going through the dark with his lighter and he's so out of it. He's just, I guess, used to seeing, for lack of a better term, ghosts. So he, there's a dude tapping his fucking phone in the house <laughs> and he catches him and he just fucking stares at him. You know, something like that was fine. Like, I got it. And that was before really any revelations. And then you see people in the bushes, like out in the distance with binoculars and that he sees them and he starts yelling at them and shit. And that's, I got it. Like I didn't need to actually go to the, the office. I didn't need to hear from the investigating officer or agent or whatever the hell you want to call him. I didn't need to see that. But like I said, pretty small complaint, all con- all things considered. Cause it does, it is a pretty tight, intimate film. For the most part, there is no no sprawling at all. And it's all hinges on that uh, Tom Hardy's performance. And uh, and it's it's great. I really enjoyed it. I I don't think it's going to be for everybody. Like I said, I think some people are going to find it too abstract, maybe a little boring um, because of that abstraction. You know, when you don't have that groundedness, it definitely is going to make it harder to kind of engage with. And like I said, if you don't have some awareness of Al Capone, uh, you might be a little lost. 
and not understand why things are important or understand why you should care about this, what's going on or why this thing is happening to him or what he remembers or who he thinks he's talking to and all sorts stuff like that. It's just, I can understand people not understand getting that, but I would say as a recommendation, if you have not seen this movie, you want to see it and you don't really know anything about Al Capone, just go read like the Wikipedia article. Normally I would not say go read a Wikipedia article because it's, you know, it's the cliff notes, but I think if you have the cliff notes, you're going to be able to appreciate the character work that is done here. Um, Cause I don't think you can without having that foundation. It just, I don't know what you would get out of it, honestly, other than just watching a guy devolve, become kind of decrepit. Yeah. And so that's not, I don't think that's really a failing on the movie. Cause I think the movie does what it intends to do. And it's not, uh, maybe it just has a little more respect for your intelligence than, than some movies often do these days. Uh, but this was a strong showing for Josh Trank. I feel like this is his really like his first movie because it's completely uncompromised and, uh, he wrote and directed it. So it is like his auteur debut. I mean, Chronicle is entertaining. Um, Fantastic Four is an interesting failure, but those are obviously not his vision, per se. Not 100%. It has more to do with studios and whatnot, that stuff. But, that, I mean, it's kind of, he's just kind of a cautionary tale. And it's, again, it's one of these things. I don't understand why these giant, unwieldy franchises, they do, they hire these dudes, like, they make one indie hit. And suddenly they're like, here's the keys to the kingdom. Here's all this money. It's just backing dump trucks up to their <laughs> their house, dumping money. I don't like, you know, things should happen in an escalation. You got to grow your craft. You got to become good before you can start doing populist filmmaking. You know, maybe that's what is really wrong with modern populist filmmaking. It's like the this fucking millennial entitlement shit. Like, oh, you're good enough now. Go for it. It's like so indicative of the culture we live in. Like you don't have to earn anything. You don't have to work. You don't have to hone your craft. It's just like, no, they just want to here. Just have it. I don't know. Maybe that's an overstatement on my part. Maybe I'm overstepping a little bit there, but that's how it's how it feels. I mean, even what's those, which I cannot fucking stand the new Jurassic Park movies. Colin Trevorrow, like he did uh, what he did this movie called Safety Not Guaranteed. And then he had done like a short film before that. Safety Not Guaranteed. So whatever, it's fine. It's like a it's a weird time travel romantic comedy indie, the very indie movie feels like it's from like the late 90s, early 2000s indie movie. And and then they're like, "Here, direct Jurassic World." But the difference is, he knows how to play ball. He must be a friendly guy. He was also fired from Star Wars too, actually. Or quit. I guess I guess this is more of an official quitting. As far as I know with Josh Trank, he quit and then it was reported that he was fi- fired anyways because he, he knew they were going to fire him. So there you go. They won. They're like, no, fuck you, Josh Trank. You ain't getting one up on the old the old Mickey Mouse. Mickey Mouse is not going to be shamed. You should be honored to have had the chance to work with us. You're not going to quit. Disgusting. I don't know. I really liked it. You might like it too. Do you like Tom Hardy? You like performances? <laughs> I don't know if this is in my top. Does this be in my top Tom Hardy performances? Probably, you know, one one of the best Tom Hardy performances. And I'm, I'll end on this. 
because I don't want to, I don't want to bore you, but the best Tom Hardy performances and the name was just in my head and then it disappeared. Uh, Lock. It is a movie that takes place inside of a car as a man drives to the hospital to see the birth of his baby. And he's like a, uh, I don't know, like a construction foreman, some type of foreman. They're about to lay down the concrete for the big job, the skyscrapers. And and he's kind of neglecting his duties to go do this. So it's this whole, his drive to where he's going. And he's talking to a bunch of people on the phone in the car. Fucking great movie. Fucking great performance. Totally, no pun intended, locked in. He was locked ass in in that one. Um, I loved, I'm a big fan of those almost like chamber piece movies, like single location stuff. I even like Buried. I mean, I know it gets a little stupid at the end, but for the most, most of the time in that movie, I was pretty, it's pretty thrilling. <laughs> and I would say Locke is like emotionally engaging from the beginning to the end. And they also made an effort, just like they did in Buried, to be fair. Uh, they made this feel cinematic. And it's got one of the cool... I love the way they filmed it. It's just because it's basically a play. And they just like spent like a week or two just driving around in circles on the highway. And Tom Hardy just did did it from beginning to end. They do it like two times a night. Fucking rad. Rad as fuck. Tom Hardy's cool, man. He might be an asshole in real life. I have no idea. But that's fucking cool. And also, of course... Mad Max Fury Road. I mean, come on. If there's anything close to a, a perfect movie in the modern era, it's close. It's not, not quite, but it's pretty damn close. Fucking Mad Max Fury Road. Although that's really has less to do with him and more to do with the direction and the and everything else that went along with that movie. But yeah, check out Capone. You can right now. I can't remember how much it costs to rent. Drawn a drawn one of those old fashioned blanks, but you know, get the family together, <laughs> watch some Capone, get you know, get stoked, be like, guys, kids, come on, watch Tom Hardy. He's gonna be he's Al Capone in the last years of his life. I don't know, this all uh, subtract. I understand. We're a very artistic family. My wife, you know, I'll tell you, is gonna be pissed though. My wife's gonna be pissed. That I watched this without her, so don't tell her. Don't do it. Whatever you do. Do not contact my wife and tell her I watch this without her because I will pretend I haven't seen it and I'll watch it with her too. She's a big Tom Hardy fan. So for all different reasons, you know what I mean? You know, it's another one of those great, those great, you know, things about when you're married or you're with somebody all day long, you know, the wife, oh, he's hot. Oh, this, that, and the other thing. I, I'm not that type of person. I very rarely engage in those things vocally but every once in a while i'll be like hmm you know every once in a while helen mirren will come on screen you know what i'm saying young helen mirren like excalibur era helen mirren i'm like oh yeah oh yeah i'd totally leave you for young helen mirren fuck i'd leave you for old helen mirren sorry honey gotta go all right everybody with that i'll see you next time we're gonna be talking about something else i don't check the channel you know we're gonna be. I'm gonna be putting out more random movie reviews. Actually, I'm gonna do uh, some Blu-ray reviews pretty soon here. 
might even do one right after this. Might record it right after this, rather. Um, yeah, but so if you'd like to know more, you want to keep engaged with Zoobox, everything Zoobox, you can head on over to Facebook. Look up Zoobox Podcast. We'll pop right up. Um, you can follow us on Instagram, at Zoobox Podcast on Instagram. And uh, if you want to drop us, drop me a line, tell me how shitty you think these solo podcasts are, go to uh, ZooboxPodcast at gmail.com. And that's pretty much the whole operation. That's how it goes. Um, if you're talking to somebody on social media, there's like about an 80% chance you're talking to me. So there you go. Have a good one, everybody. Zoobox out!